0: Chris McLeish, here we are, episode number 30! 30!
1: Getting on, getting on.
0: Oh, we really are. Now, I've got a question for you. Tell me it. Since we have reached number Mm -hmm. 30, on our podcasting journey thus far, do you have a favourite episode and or story and or moment from the podcast
1: Ooh, okay this is fun um this is so unexpected oh um it genuinely is <laughs> it genuinely is yeah um i feel <laughs> I, a, if i was to choose a personal a personal favorite story that i mm-hmm. am really proud of it was the scottish titanic oh, episode such a good one um i enjoyed that only because i felt like it was the first time i would thought kind of out of the box I kind of thought about something that wasn't just a straightforward story. actually required quite a lot of research. And I was really proud of that particular story that I had told. I feel like in terms of favorite episodes, I think I I really enjoyed episode 20 when we had Jen as our first guest.
0: Yes.
1: Because there was just an injection of like a new energy. Not that we didn't have energy before, but it just felt having a third person there just changed up the, the game a little bit and that was kind of fun.
0: Exactly. And it was the first time I'd, I'd got to speak to Jen properly and we are pals now, which yeah, is really which is nice. nice.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, my first outing, uh, once we were allowed to have outings again, was with the two of you. Um, exactly. So that was nice. Um, yum, 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 yum. Favourite moment... I think the milestone that felt really important at the time was when we got to 500 listens. Yeah. That was just kind of nice because it, yeah. it was kind of reaffirming, or at least what's coming to mind. I probably, the second we stop recording, a million <laughs> things will come to mind. <laughs> Retrospectively,
0: my head. I should have asked you to plan these answers in advance because then you'd have had
1: time to prepare them. It's but... <laughs> okay. Off the cuff we is just, nice. We
0: like, we like the spontaneity of it all. That's exactly you know it. What?
1: Yeah. How about yourself?
0: Um, I think favourite story, if we're talking personally, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I was a big fan of the Barnum one Mm -hmm. that I did because a bit like the Titanic one, I felt like it was something that's a little bit left field Mm -hmm. because it wasn't, and it was something that probably quite a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, I think having Jen on was great, and also Michael as well. That was great fun because that was also the first time We'd seen each other in quite a... Well, we'd seen him Yeah. <laughs> quite We've seen each other every week for 30 weeks so far. Yeah. But also, another one that springs to mind is the Robert Liston episode.
1: Oh, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that episode.
0: I just feel like... I don't know what it is, but I just... I feel like there's, like, just great energy in that episode and we have quite a lot of sarcastic comments about Mr. Liston
1: <laughs> in yeah. that episode
0: as well. Um, and I think favourite moment from the pod like coming from like doing this project i think it de- was definitely the day the first episode went out yeah and just getting loads of lovely messages particularly from like work colleagues that we hadn't and most of whom yeah, still haven't true. seen in a very long time and it was just so lovely to hear from them and be like this is so good it's making me miss work and it's so nice to hear you guys because it just feels like we're having a chat in the foyer. <laughs> yeah and that was just really lovely because that felt like oh well what we're doing is like people are people are enjoying it even though it's only the first episode yeah and that was just really that was just really nice i felt like we'd we'd brought a little bit of irreverent joy
1: yeah (laughs) which we all needed at the time yeah
0: yeah it was a pretty low time but um but yeah who would have thought 30 weeks i
1: know and we've only there's been one week where we or one little period where we filmed recorded two episodes in a row just so that we could have Mm, a couple like a week off or so but we've been doing this for 30 weeks pretty much apart from that one little gap over christmas um yeah i say gap over christmas we put out four episodes in Two That's weeks. True. <laughs> so it's not like we took an that actual break we still um, were doing stuff but one of the things i found really strange about the podcast is that we have these conversations yes. before we kick it kick off with
0: um, yeah, yeah yeah
1: just kind of catching up with each other and i then have conversations with people who speak about stuff that we have spoken about on the podcast and i'm like how do you know that uh-huh. how do you know <laughs> like i forget that people are actually listening to this Sometimes yes. <laughs> I feel like we're just catching up and then people all of a sudden yeah. have been listening in and kept bringing it up in conversation and I'm like, why are you spying on me? It's very disconcerting.
0: Because <laughs> I, I bumped into our mutual friend Sally Yay. the other week in the park and she was saying, him. Um, because she's been listening to some of the episodes and she's like, it's really great, but I keep going to interject, but I forget you guys are not talking to me. <laughs> You're just talking to each other and it's recorded.
1: I believe, uh, I believe Jen Lindsay has had the very same experience.
0: Exactly. Um, so that's nice that we're engaging people, though. Yeah. I suppose that's a name. a name ticked off. But so yeah, I just thought a little retrospective would have been nice. Which yeah. Just nice kick things proceedings off this week.
1: I think it's just my favorite episodes overall are the ones where it's not stories that people necessarily know. It's nice to yeah. cover the things that are familiar to other people because they, they might learn something mm-hmm. new about something they already thought they knew about. Yeah. But I think when there's, when it's not as simple as Googling an article and then reading the article and you actually yeah. have to delve into it and, and yeah. do your search a little further afield, that's what's quite exciting. I find that yeah. part of the research really fun. Because that's what I do anyway. If I'm just chilling, I'm I'm diving into really deep holes. Exactly. So I may as well do it for the for a reason.
0: So anything interesting, exciting, unusual, boring happened to you this week?
1: Actually, this is sorry. That was that was very loud. That felt very loud to me. Actually, actually, this is just an interesting fact that I've been meaning to bring up for a couple of weeks, and I always forget because I'm not writing it down. Oh. Back in episode, I want to say, five. I think it was the Oscar Slater Indeed, yes. Story, in my Instagram post, I made fun of him <laughs> for... Not me, I didn't make fun of him. My Instagram descriptions are always a little tongue-in-cheek. I mean, most of the time, not all the time. But if I feel like there's a bit of... <laughs> If there's a possibility for me to make a funny caption about the photo that I'm posting, absolutely. i absolutely pig and will.
0: And let's when... just say if you ha- if you haven't listened to any of the episodes, but you do go onto our Instagram, you can see quite plainly who's what's Chris's post and what's mine.
1: My... <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because Hannah's very professional, <laughs> whereas I am just slagging <laughs> off the photos that I'm posting. Um it's They're very so good, true. Though. Thank you. I So there was one photo of Oscar Slater where I had said Oscar Slater checking for his keys because he's standing yes. with his hands like this yes. and he's got a mirror behind him I recently learned that there was a reason behind that so I didn't actually realise that that photo was essentially a mugshot I thought it was just an interesting oh. photo of Oscar Slater turns out back in the, in the Vicky times they would make criminal, well criminals quote unquote, yes. stand like that for photos because They would have you facing the camera so they can see your front, they'd put a mirror Uh behind you so they could see your profile, and then they would have your hands up like here so that they could see any noticeable scars and such like on your hands or if you were missing fingers and all that kind of stuff so that you were easily identifiable. And it was all because the cost of photography was still too much, so they would try and achieve as much within one photo as they possibly could.
0: That's so fascinating, I I had no idea that was a thing.
1: So I read that the other day and I was like, Oscar Slater, I'm so sorry, you weren't checking for your keys. You were essentially having a mugshot taken. Um,
0: <laughs> Although every single time you said mugshot there, my brain instinctively went to the little packets of dried pasta and pasta sauce that you get that you put course, water yes. in a bit like a pot noodle.
1: <laughs> it's a very different type of mugshot. Not so popular in the late 1800s. Not
0: so, not so. Po- I bet no. you it would have been if
1: they were around though. Probably, but I don't know if Italy had been invented yet and that's where pasta comes from. I don't know when it was invented. (laughs) Don't know. Fair enough. It's not been around long, I don't think.
0: Fair enough.
1: (laughs) I went for a very good walk yesterday. Went up a big hill. That was nice. Up a big hill and then back down the big hill. Back down it. It was pouring with rain. Lovely. Looked like a drowned rat. Good luck. Yeah, I make it work. But how about yourself? What's the
0: Eh? What have I done? I went to the gym for the first time since they reopened, which was very exciting. Uh, very stressful.
1: A oh, little bit. Idea, it was quite busy. Idea. It was
0: quite busy. I had to do a bit of hanging about, waiting for equipment that I wanted, or suspiciously loitering on other bits of equipment eyeing up the mm-hmm. <laughs> piece I want and hoping, you not know, way you just kind of like try and exude bad vibes to be like, don't you go near that exercise bike because I want it next. <laughs>
1: Yeah, using the old so gym telepathy
0: Absolutely, absolutely yeah. So I did that and Went and got my eyebrows waxed this morning Because they needed done desperately So now I look like a Machiavellian villain Because they're very arched Did some shopping, kind nice. of On Sunday I went, I went out shopping Um, Went to Curry's and someone tried to sell me a TV Which was...
1: Did you fall for it?
0: I didn't fa- Right, so... <laughs> I was in Currys with my mother, and we were look, we were looking to buy something, but you have to like find a person that can like get you the product. Yeah. Fair. And it's always when you want to buy something, you can't find a human. If you don't want to buy something, there's a hundred of them. Yeah. <laughs> Loitering always about. the way. So we went in search of for a salesperson, and. As we were coming up like, towards the TV bit, I suddenly hear a song coming from the dist- in the distance somewhere. And it was the song Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode, which I have spoken about previously mm-hmm. on this podcast. And it's like one of my all-time favorite songs and it was being played through a, a TV with a big sound bar so it sounded amazing. And you never hear this song in public because it's just super duper obscure. So we walked past it and I stopped like a little distracted puppy <laughs> watching this video for this, music, for this song. And my mum was like, just, okay, you just watch your, you watch your video and I'll go and find <laughs> someone to, to get this thing for us. So I was standing there, loving life. It was like a live recording of one of Depeche Mode's concerts. It was great. It was like a remix of Enjoy the Silence. And this girl comes over to me and is like... Oh, can I help you? Help you at all? And I was like, No, it's okay. I'm just waiting for someone. Because in truth, truth at that point, I really mm-hmm. was waiting for someone. That was fine. I'm I'm standing there enjoying my video. Thirty seconds later, another guy comes over to me and is like, The sound in that is really really good, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, it's, it's it's great. It's great. And he's like, Yeah. And you could see like how clear the picture is. And I was like, Yeah, it's great. It's it's good. And eventually, I was just like. I'm just, I, 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 need, I need to go and get somebody sorry. And he's like, oh, that's fine, that's fine. And I, and I just sort of awkwardly ran away. And all I wanted to say was, I just want to stand here and watch this music video because it's my favorite <laughs> song and I never get to hear it in public because <laughs> it's never played because it's really obscure. <laughs> and I just want to stand and watch Dave Gann being sexy because he's really sexy in this video. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I had to run away because they kept trying to sell me things, Chris. It was very stressful and I understand it's their job and I understand that it can be a very thankless job so I'm not knocking them at all but it was just very funny because I was like all I want to do is stand and watch this video <laughs> 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 I don't want to buy the overpriced TV Also you're picking the wrong person to try and sell a TV to because I am renowned for being very tight with my money when it comes to overpriced
1: things <laughs> Well, hat time? Or w-
0: Hat time?
1: Yeah, hat time. Because I honestly hat have time. nothing else to talk about.
0: Okay, right. I've got a good okay. one. I'm ready. I've got a good one that we definitely haven't had. Okay. And it is theatre related. Woohoo! Okay. You can revive one closed West End or Broadway show for one evening. What do you pick?
1: The gender-swapped company.
0: Ooh, okay. Yeah,
1: with Pat Lepone, uh Mel yeah. Rosalie Craig, Oh, it was just honestly the best show I have ever seen.
0: I didn't get to see it, so I can't comment on that. that but is... I believe you. I trust you.
1: I mean, I sadly, when I went to see it, Patty Lepone was off.
0: She was elsewhere that evening.
1: The rest of the show was so exceptional that I was able to forget the fact that Patty Lepone wasn't there. The sh- it was honestly so 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 good. I would revive it. So I got to see Patty. Yeah, it was just so good. I know that it's going. The gender swapped cast is going to the West End. No, it's not. It's going to Broadway. But <laughs> the other one. <laughs> yeah, the other, the other one. But there was just something so charming about the cast that they had in the UK.
0: It was a cracking
1: cast. Excellent cast.
0: I think there was no weak links in that cast.
1: So yeah, that was actually quite a simple answer. I just clearly you've been
0: thinking about that one for a while.
1: <laughs> I love. I loved that production so much. And obviously Sondheim is a genius and I could just watch any Sondheim show over and over again. Um,
0: he does be a genius.
1: Yeah, I ignore the fact that he contributed to West Side Story, but um, I can forgive him for that.
0: West Side Story, ye or nay?
1: Absolutely nay. Hate it. <laughs> hate it.
0: Yeah, sorry, I'm not a fan either. I, mm, some of the music's okay, dancing's very impressive, but I just hate a Romeo and Juliet story. I hate it.
1: Me too. I, hate it. I don't really care about. I hate it. Young love. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> it's uh, the other thing is so Maria. <laughs> Maria is my most detested musical theater song of all time. I think Maria is so Fair. boring.
0: I had a funny story. In my final year of school, I did uh, vocal lessons for a year, and uh, I had the most brilliant teacher. Terrifying teacher. You think of a voice teacher, and she was probably like sort of the archetype. She is probably what you imagine. She was in like the draped scarfs and the long skirts, and she was a little bit terrifying, but I loved her. And she was one of those teachers, if you respected her, she respected you.
1: Yeah, that's what it's all about. She was
0: great. And um, one of the first songs she gave me was a kind of like solo arrangement of Tonight from West Side Story. Okay. And I humoured her and did it for about two months or something like that and then <laughs> and then asked her to change it because I really hated it. Yeah. And she's like, I'm okay. And she pulled out her, her portfolio and she's like, um, have you heard of Think of Me from Phantom of the Opera? I was like, I'll do it. I'm so Yep. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> Give me that over anything from West Side Story, please
1: oh yeah i just i i think there's some fun numbers and i enjoy the america's quite fun yeah it's just repetitive (laughs) and um, it's about although i will say have you seen Cher's one woman sketch version i have it is wild
0: it is a sight to behold, I will it's say that. It's so much. crazy.
1: So if you haven't seen Cher performing all the roles in West Side Story <laughs> within one video, go and treat yourself on YouTube because it is crazy. I think she does a passable Anita, everything else is terrible. <laughs> she exposed herself as, a, as being a terrible singer in that video.
0: Well, there you go. I
1: think she's a good singer. I don't know if, I'm not, I'm not yeah, slating Cher. I don't, right. know
0: if, I don't know if Autotune existed at that point in time.
1: No, but it was truly. She is not a soprano. <laughs> Why was she singing Maria? <laughs> oh, oh my so God. bad. Um. So That's yeah, so no, funny. I, I, I poo poo the idea of West Side Story. It is in my top five least favorite shows that I've ever seen.
0: So I think I'm going to pick a show I haven't seen it in person,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I might have seen it on a little, a little, you know, winky wink. Yes, you, you know. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. It was a Broadway show um, called Tuck Everlasting. Have you heard of it?
1: I have. That had... Um... You
0: have. So it is a musical that is based on the book of the same name by Natalie Babbitt, which is a book that's kind of like an American staple, I think, but we don't really... It's, it's not really one that I think has been on many people's radar. And to cut a long story short, without giving anything away, it's about a young girl who stumbles across a family who Mm -hmm. are immortal. And the kind of... um, And for it being a kid's book, it poses some quite big questions (laughs) about life and what it means. uh, Well, life means and all that. It premiered on Broadway back in 2016. And I just absolutely fell in love with the cast album. It's beautiful beautiful music it's kind of folk folky yeah um it's really magical the music's really catchy some of the music's really sad actually and then i i did see a little there might have been a wee recording of it somewhere online which i watched and it was just a beautiful show it looked lovely just everything about it but it actually only lasted on broadway for a month
1: Oh no, I didn't realise it was that bad it a run. Wa- yeah,
0: it was only like 69 performances or something it played in total. It was a oh. really short one, run because there was a little musical called Hamilton <sighs> that was causing a bit of furore on mm-hmm. Broadway. So quite a lot of shows suffered, uh, Tuck Everlasting being one of them. And, but it just, it's such a beautiful show and it's a, just a show that I would love to see live yeah and just to hear the music played live because it's just it's a really well constructed musical I can't say much more than that it's just it kind of it ticks all the boxes Um, so it'd be nice for that to maybe have a wee cheeky revival and Anthony Keenan Walter
1: is just adorable
0: he is so sweet yeah and I love the fact that he still manages to pass as a 17 year old even though he's in his 30s (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) ah, that's the dream
0: That is, hey, you could pass for a 17-year-old if you
1: tried. I mean, if I tried really hard.
0: You might need to shave your beard. That'd probably do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, will we fire in with the absolute saga that we have prepared for everyone today?
0: Yes. Would you like to explain? I absolutely would. I was going to say the viewers. They're not viewers. Not really. (laughs)
1: The, you know what I mean? The ear viewers. The Ear Um, Viewers. Yes. So, Ear Viewers, we decided for our 30th episode, which felt like a little bit of a landmark, we have spoken about this woman frequently. She has cropped up in many stories, but we haven't actually Mm -hmm. told her story. So we thought that as a special little tribute to this woman on our 30th episode, that we would take one half of her life each And just explain Mm -hmm. all. So I I obviously know the full story of this woman. So does Hannah. But we have both done our research independently. So this will still be a nice little surprise for each other. In case we find any interesting fact we had forgotten. Um, So we are doing (laughs) the life and times of Mary Queen of Scots. Woohoo! What a gal. What a gal. What a life. Oh, what a (laughs) life. So I'm going to kick things off by telling you... About the beginning portion of her life. And then Hannah will tell us about her later years. and uh, no spoilers, but
0: No spoilers, but I think we all know how this is going to
1: end. Oh yes. Uh, no need to give you a heads up.
0: <laughs> hey: <Hey-o! laughs>
1: OK, so firing in. Mary Stuart was born on the 8th of December 1542 at Linlithgow Palace in West Lothian to King James V and his second wife, Mary of Guise, of France, of Europe, of the world. She is thought to have been born (laughs) prematurely and has been described as a, quote, weakly child, not likely to live. That's a bit rude. Very rude. She could not defend herself. All she did was cry. Absolutely. Crying poop. Maybe that's her way of saying, I'll show you. (laughs) Crying and poop. Absolutely. Clearly this wasn't the case, because otherwise this would be a very short story. She gave a big middle finger to the child mortality rates of the 1500s. In the future, this stubborn will to live may well have been the only thing that saved her. She was the only surviving legitimate child of James, The Stuarts had two sons that both died in infancy within hours of each other in 1541 before Mary was born. After defeat at the Battle of Solway Moss in November 1542, James returned to Fife's Falkland Palace and went to bed with a high fever. On the 8th of December, the message came from Linlithgow Palace that his wife had given birth to a daughter, instead of what he had hoped for, a son.
0: Classic, classic King! God forbid.
1: Yeah, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? A woman.
0: <laughs> Women. A that's future it. woman.
1: He g- she gave birth to a full-grown woman. That would be quite <laughs> terrifying. She just shed, a skin- shed her skin like a snake. and another- another I was going to say like there. a
0: selkie, but okay.
1: Oh, well, yeah, that's more in keeping with our vibe, isn't it? Uh, King James V died six days later, perhaps from the effect of a nervous collapse following the Battle of Solway Moss, or from drinking contaminated water while on campaign, and Baby Mary became Queen of the Scotland, <laughs> the, Scotland. the youngest of the Scotland. <laughs> ever <laughs> British monarch, at a tiny six days old on the 14th of December. What a claim to fame. Oh, yes. And interestingly... James had also become become king at the fresh-faced age of just 17 months. So he also was a child's monarch, because his dad was killed at the Battle of Flodden when he was 17 months old. Oh! A popular tale, first recorded by John Knox, states that James, upon hearing on his deathbed that his wife had given birth to a daughter, ruefully exclaimed... Quote, it can we alas, and it will gang we alas. End quote. His family became rulers of Scotland in the 14th century when Marjorie, daughter of Robert the Bruce, married Walter Stewart, the sixth high steward of Scotland. So in essence, he was saying that the crown had come to his family through a woman and it would be lost from his family also through a woman. And this legendary statement did come true but not through Urmere; Mary. It came through her great-great-granddaughter, Anne, Queen of Great Britain. So wow. the okay. crown stayed within the family for quite a bit longer than, than Big Maz. But uh, he was concerned. He had concerns. Within a short time, Mary started to thrive. And by March of 1543, Sir Ralph Sadler reported that she was, quote, a right, fair and goodly child as any that I ever seen of her age. So she was doing quite well.
0: Excellent.
1: Now, she was oh. a desirable slice of a wife, even though she was just a baby.
0: Oh. <laughs> yep. Okay, questionable.
1: Questionable. Both Protestant England and Catholic France wanted Mary to marry a royal from their country in order to gain control over Scotland. Mary's great uncle, you might have heard of him, King Henry VIII. Oh, that guy. That big guy. Oh, yes. That um, guy. Quite ironic that that was her uncle when we know what he did for a pastime.
0: Exactly. He did have a little penchant for the axes.
1: He did. Penchant de l'axe. I assume <laughs> is French for <laughs> penchant for axes. <laughs> so Mary's great uncle, Big Henry arranged for Mary to marry his son Edward in the hopes of uniting Scotland and England. When Scotland rejected the proposal, the King's response was infamously disturbing. He began what has come to be known as the rough wooing of the little girl, attacking Scotland in order to strong arm them into submission through brute force. Meanwhile, Mary was pooping her pants because she was still a baby.
0: Quite literally pooping
1: her pants. Quite literally. She wasn't quaking in her boots, pooping her pants. She was just there living her life, pooping her pants. In 1547, the first part of Mary's destiny locked into place. Scotland, terrified of head slicer McGee and losing the fight, turned to France for help. The French king agreed to help so long as the now five-year-old Mary married his son instead. And the country readily agreed. From that point on, Mary was betrothed to the three-year-old Dauphin, Francis. At six years old, she moved to be raised in France alongside the children of King King Henri de France in magnificent royal palaces and became very close to Princess Elizabeth. By the time Mary arrived in France in the summer of 1548, 1548 she was well-grown for her age. Her grandmother, Antoinette de Bourbon, Duchess of Guise, described her as very pretty indeed and likely to be a beautiful woman with an, ex- with an, ex- with an especially smooth complexion. Her fond grandmother... Grand- my God. Grandmother. God. Just quick side note. When I spoke to yes. my mum earlier today, we were both having a terrible time saying things. I at one point tried to say plant pot and I said... Plant pants. I said (laughs) plant pants. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. It's one of those days then.
1: Anywho, so this whole story is going to be an absolute time, especially because there's quite a lot of French. Um, (laughs) Her fond grandmother described her eyes as deep set beneath a high forehead. Above all, Mary's physical appeal was in her grace and lightness of movement, which she maintained for most of her life. So I thought that it would be quite nice to mention quite a bit about how she looked and how she was perceived in character Mm -hmm. and appearance, because although you can glean a little bit about someone from portraits, these portraits are Mm -hmm. not always accurate. They're normally a variation of what a particular artist's style is.
0: Yeah. Like we said about Richard III's portrait last week.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: Everyone vaguely looks rather similar, and that's not just because they were all inbreeding it just was because Mm -hmm. it was the style of portrait done yeah it was just how they were done (laughs) so i thought
1: i often always think when i think of mary that we know her story but we don't necessarily i don't always feel like i've got an idea of her as a person yeah so i've tried to throw in some stuff that i found that described her both in physical appearance and in yeah uh, temperament and things. Whilst living it up in France, Mary became fluent in Latin, French, whilst maintaining the Scots dialect of the Lowlands, and even had a solid grasp of Italian, Spanish, and Greek. She was wow. she was quite the linguist. She was taught to sew, write poetry, and to play musical instruments, with particular success in the lute, uh, much like her father, who was also a lutist And virginals, she played virginals. She was also known for being quite a competent singer, unlike her father, whose voice had been described as harsh. <laughs> <laughs> While Mary was in France, there are multiple reports of how much courtiers liked the sweet little girl. She charmed the French court, receiving shout-outs and poems by Ronsard and Du Bellay. Even her young future husband absolutely adored her. It seemed she was popular with everybody. Everyone that is, except her future mother-in-law, the fearsome Catherine de' Medici. She was apparently... Always the mother-in-laws. Always the mother-in-laws. She was apparently very cold with Mary throughout their time together. Uh, The French court didn't just take to her as a personable young thing, but much like her grandmother, they were astonished at how beautiful the toddler grew up to become. She had a small face, a long, graceful neck, hazel eyes, and a head of thick auburn hair. She was also very tall, even by contemporary standards. John Guy wrote in his biography, Queen of Scots The True Life of Mary Stuart By the time she was 14, Mary was much taller than average. In an age when a woman was considered tall if she reached five foot four, Mary grew to almost six feet. And most records show her as an adult being 5 foot 11.
0: Oh, so she was like two, three inches taller than me. That's crazy. Yeah, so she
1: was very tall. Um, wow. People loved her. She was apparently quite the thing to look at and also be around.
0: She was the popular girl. Everybody she wanted was. to be her
1: pal. She was the Glinda of 1500 Scotland and France.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: With so much love and adoration and the emotional security of an affectionate upbringing at the French court, it is hardly surprising that Mary avoided the hard lessons of politics in childhood that the English queens, Mary I and Elizabeth I, were both familiar with. She was a deeply emotional woman, easily moved to tears or to laughter, and her upbringing did not force her to conceal those feelings. Later, she learnt to hide both anger and any desire for revenge but such secretiveness did not come naturally to her. Any sort of emotional turmoil told heavily on her health, and there are frequent reports of physical collapse from mental distress. Oh. Yeah, so she sounds like she was an early days anxiety panic attack sufferer.
0: Yeah. Um, Wow.
1: To me, anyway. Poor thing. Now back to business. Mary's still a child. Still a child. She's still a child. (laughs) While Mary was practically a 16th century giantess, her betrothed was somewhat shorter than the average at the time, had a noticeable stutter, and was constantly ill. But fortunately, the couple got along as if they had known each other for a very long time. The pair were close confidants, which is good because their wedding came at them very quickly.
0: Oh, how old were they?
1: Like 10? <laughs> Not quite as bad as 10, but they're pretty young. Just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, A quick fun fact. Yes. Sometime just before their marriage in 1558, Mary changed the spelling of her family's last name. So it used to be S-T-E-W-A-R-T, which is kind of the classic Stuart as a last name. But it became S-T-U-A-R-T because it made it easier for the French to pronounce. Oh. In April 1558, at the age of 15... Mary married okay. the 14-year-old Dauphin Francis in Notre Dame Cathedral, Paris. Hey! Hey-o, we love Notre Dame! The bells, bells! <laughs> <laughs> despite, <laughs> despite white being considered a colour of mourning at the time in France, Mary loved it so much that she chose a white gown. According to the Discours de Grande et Magnifique Triomphe, a historic account of the day, uh, quote, The Queen Dauphine was dressed in a garment white as a lily and so sumptuously and richly made that it would be impossible to describe it, and of which two young ladies carried a wonderfully long train.
0: Ah.
1: Oh, I really got on a roll with the French there that I couldn't stop that sentence. I kept on going.
0: You really did? You're a sea. Very impressive work.
1: Regardless of how glorious the day appeared, Mary and Francis's union didn't start with a bang. In many ways. The very next oh. year, Francis's father, Henry, was injured in a summertime joust, succumbing to his wounds. Through his misfortune, the teenage love doves were now the king and queen of France. Well then. Yes, at age 14 and 15. So Mary is now queen of France and queen of Scotland.
0: I mean, I was stressing about my standard grades at that age.
1: Yeah, who had time to run a country?
0: Running a country.
1: (laughs) In June 1560, Mary's mother also passed away, rendering Mary officially an orphan and throwing Scotland into even more political turmoil. At just 17 years old, Mary didn't have the time or know-how about how to grieve such vast losses, particularly within such close succession. Mm. Throughout their time together, Francis and Mary never had a child, and it's unlikely Mary had ever conceived during this time. There was no record of her ever having conceived and potentially losing the child. Some historians theorize that this might have actually been because of Francis's many ailments, and yet, others point to a more unsettling conclusion, which is that Francis was so young that his testicles hadn't dropped yet.
0: Oh, no. Yeah.
1: So, either oh, way. Well,
0: yeah, because makes technically, sense. 14, 14's like not really into the thick of puberty yet, is it? Yeah, not really. Oh, that's uncomfortable. He
1: was just <laughs> a, he was a late bloomer. Um, so, either way, they were left childless at this point in time. Okay. In early winter of 1560, Francis took ill with an ear infection. Mary could safely assume that this was business as usual because he had a history of illness, but it did take a miserable turn. The infection led to a fatal brain abscess and by December 4th, the king was dead. Oh, Mary. And this puts him at aged 17.
0: That's horrible.
1: Yeah. Once again... Mary's whole world was in tatters. One of the earliest assessments of Mary's characters as a queen came shortly after she was widowed. Elizabeth I's messenger to the court, the French court, Sir Nicholas Throckmorton, wrote, She is both of great wisdom for her years, modesty, and also of great judgment. And for my part, I see her behaviour to be such, and her wisdom and kingly modesty to be so great in that she thinketh herself not too wise, but is content to be guided by good counsel and wise men, which is a great virtue in a prince or princess, and which argueth a great wisdom and judgment in her.
0: But the more that sentence went on, the more angry I could see you getting.
1: I was like, I'm wanting a full stop somewhere, and I want to feel like I found the end of the sentence. I get to the end, and I'm like, what did I just say? I've read this 50 times, and I still don't know what I said. I think essentially she was he considered her wise, modest. Um she kind of played herself down a little bit, but she was happy to be guided by others.
0: There you go, that's that summed up in a dozen yeah, see, Do you know what I mean?
1: It's so simple to just say it as it is. Instead oh they say God. fifty million words. It just does nothing. Anywho, as with many virtues. Mary's keenness for advice from others became a burden, relying far too heavily on others because up to now, she had been supported at every turn. She was taught to rely on her father-in-law, Henry II, and her Guise uncles, and later anticipated that those she relied on such as her half-brother, Murray, her secretary, Maitland, or even her cousin, Elizabeth, would have her best interests in mind. But sadly, as we will learn, Fair words did not necessarily reflect inner loyalty, and betrayal repeatedly surprised and hurt her throughout her life. Mm -hmm. At the same time as being very reliant on others, she was also well aware of the duty that her subjects owed to her. She complained to Throckmorton that, quote, "'My subjects in Scotland do their duty in nothing, nor have they performed their part in one thing that belongeth to them. I am their queen, and so they call me, but they do not use me so.' they must be taught to know their duties, again, showing a reliance on even her subjects to act as she would hope they would. So she was a little bit more succinct. That's okay. one thing that's I really going that, for yes. her. That's really going for her. She does wish that her subjects were more actively loyal to her and served her. Yes. Yeah, which is fair. She's the queen. Absolutely. Now, since Mary had no claim to the French throne and no heirs, France gave her the quick boot, and the throne was passed down to her 10-year-old brother-in-law Ah oh. even as she grieved Child the labor. loss labor, we love it.: I know. Get them started <laughs> while they're young. Teach them that life is not easy, even if they're a king.: oh. Oh,
0: God. Even
1: as she grieved the loss of her mother and her husband, Catherine de Medici sent Mary pacing back to Scotland in 1561. By this time, Mary's native land was practically a foreign country to her. Having lived in France since the age of five, Mary had little direct experience of the dangerous and complex political situation in Scotland. As a devout Catholic, many of her subjects were suspicious of her, as was the Queen of England, Lizzie I. Scotland was torn between Catholic and and Protestant factions. Mary's illegitimate half-brother, the Earl of Murray, was a leader of the Protestants. The Protestant Protestant reformer, John Knox, preached against Mary, condemning her for hearing mass, dancing, and dressing too elaborately. She summoned him to to her presence to remonstrate him, but was unsuccessful. She later charged him with treason, but he was acquitted and released.
0: Big old misogynist, Mr.
1: Knox. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of misogynist, it should be <gasps> noted that in 1558, Knox wrote an entire book called The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women in which he described women having authority over men as an unholy violation of the natural order and to put it mildly he did not change his mind once mary ascended to the throne
0: oh that man had far too much time in his hands far
1: too much time (laughs) and his beard was far too long far too long a beard he had a very long beard that's definitely dipping into his soup
0: Oh, can yeah. you imagine? And also, can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to go to the bathroom with that long beard?
1: Oh, he's dipping it <laughs> in the toilet water.
0: <laughs> if he or flushed was it chamber it, pot as it would have been in oh that day. Chamber pot, yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> that's true. Although I don't know, people actually like sat down on a chamber pot, did they?
0: That's a question I cannot answer.
1: <laughs> that's something I'm gonna have. To, I'll travel back in time and I'll ask them because I. Anyway. Anyway.
0: Yep. <laughs> Mr. Knox, why did you hate women and how did you go to the toilet with your big long beard? <laughs> <laughs> These are the important questions These we ask on These are the this important podcast. questions
1: we want. Answers, 15th century, uh-huh. 1500s. <sighs> to the surprise and dismay of the Catholic Party, Mary tolerated the newly established Protest- Protestant ascendancy and kept her half-brother Murray as her chief advisor. Her privy council of 16 men of course, appointed Classic. on the 6th of September 1561, the day after my birthday, <laughs> oh. retained those who already held their offices of state. The council was dominated by the Protestant leaders from the Reformation crisis in 1559 to 1560. Only four of the councillors were Catholic. Modern historian Jenny Warmold found this remarkable and suggested that Mary's failure to appoint a council sympathetic to Catholic and French interests was an indication of her focus on the English throne over the internal problems of Scotland. Even the one significant later addition to the council, Lord Ruthven, in December 1563, was another Protestant who Mary actively disliked. So she wasn't really doing herself favours by taking in a bunch of men who just automatically we're on a completely different page. But... Not great. She wanted to be <laughs> queen of everywhere, so... Exactly. In this, she was acknowledging her lack of effective military power in the face of Protestant lords, while also following a policy that strengthened her links with England. She joined with Murray in the destruction of Scotland's leading Catholic magnate, Lord Huntley, in, in 1562, after he led a rebellion against her in the Highlands. Mary sent William Maitland of Levington as an ambassador to the English court to put the case to Mary uh, as the to put the case for Mary as the heir presumptive to the English throne. Elizabeth refused to name a potential heir, fearing that this would invite conspiracy to displace her with the nominated successor. However, she assured Maitland that she knew no one with a better claim to the throne than Mary. In late 1561. Okay. Yes, that's interesting. That is interesting. Yes. In late 1561 and early 1562, arrangements were, arrangements were made for the two queens to meet. In July, however, Elizabeth sent Sir Henry Sidney to cancel Mary's visit because of the civil war in France. I don't know if you're going to mention this, but Mary and Elizabeth never actually met in person.
0: I didn't have that in my notes, but I probably was going to throw that in. So thank you for bringing that no up now.
1: <laughs> so they did plan to meet a few occasions. Yes. It just never happened. So that scene in the film is wrong.
0: Yes. Th- there is quite a lot of fictional adaptations
1: that there is. There is.
0: say that she- they did, but they didn't. Yep. Which in itself is quite interesting.
1: For the next four years, Mary was busy ruling Scotland. The Scottish court needed to travel around the country, meeting with lairds and other officials. Mary continued to love horse riding, dancing and hunting game. Mary was known to don drag and sneak out into the streets of Edinburgh for fun and to see how her subjects lived.
0: Yes, Mary! I love that! Yes!
1: (laughs) She even at one point attended a formal banquet. <laughs> no, she didn't. It was a Whoa. banquet. That <laughs> formal was the word. <laughs> that was the. That was a. Was
0: it a sleepover? A banquet
1: on a blanket. It's a picnic, yep, there but you go. really big. <laughs> so she attended a formal banquet dressed as a man, which shocked the noble court. They were like, "What? Why are you dressed as a man, Qu- Mary?"
0: Quite right. Quite right too. And she was like,
1: "Mind your own business, Steve." Psst. She also enjoyed sport and would play tennis when at Falkland Palace, which is a location that she adored because it reminded her of the chateau in which she grew up. Mm. She is also, of course, renowned for being a massive golf nut. Golfers worldwide revere St. Andrews as the Cathedral of Golf. It's considered the oldest golf course in the world, and Mary had a vacation cottage there and often played. In fact, she was the very first woman to play golf in Scotland. She had likely learned the game as a child in France because of a similar game called Pell-Mell. And one long-standing story is that she is actually responsible for the coining of the phrase caddy, based on the military cadets who would carry the clubs for royal players. Oh my God, that's a brilliant fun fact. Yes, it is... There were so many elements to that fun fact that I just found yeah. all over the shop and I was like, yes, that's great.
0: I love that. Although controversial opinion, I find golf
1: really boring. I used to play golf. And I was told Did I was yes, and I was told I was really good. And I hated it. <laughs> I could have been the best golfer ever, ever. And I will never oh, know McLeish, because I hated it so you much. You could have
0: been the famous Scottish golfer that Mary Queen of Scots had waited for all these years that would have just gone round winning all the things.
1: I will tell you for why I would never, ever have become a famous golfer. I refuse to be told what to wear. Okay. And I will not wear (laughs) chinos and like a polo shirt. That's not happening. That is not within my wardrobe. I
0: can't see you in that. If I'm not allowed to swan in
1: wearing chunky-soled shoes skinny jeans and an oversized jumper I'm not interested
0: oh my god yeah you could, have, you could have been like the rebel golfer I
1: could have reformed the entire sport
0: absolutely you could have been like the wild renegade <laughs> young player it's
1: not it's it's, uh, it's not too late who knows I could, have a, I could change my mind still time <laughs> if, they abolish, if they abolish the stupid uniforms then perhaps I will imbibe there you go Back to, back okay, to serious business. No, no, don't you worry <laughs> about it. With her grief somewhat soothed and the English throne tickling her fancy, Mary started sniffing about for a new husband. It was a total disaster. Her advisors oh tried to suggest Archduke Charles of Austria on her, but she ousted him back to Vienna. For some reason, she herself tried to butter up the infamously mentally unstable Don Carlos of Spain, only for Spain to deny her. The cheek. Okay. That rude. Very rude. Elizabeth attempted to neutralise Mary by suggesting that she marry English Protestant Robert Dudley, the first Earl of Leicester. Dudley was the English Queen's personal favourite, whom she trusted and thought she could control. Dudley was very likely Elizabeth's own lover, and Elizabeth actually wanted them to live in the English court as some kind of bizarre menage a trois.
0: Oh.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. She sent an ambassador, Thomas Randolph, Randolph, to tell Mary that if she married an English nobleman, Elizabeth would proceed to the inquisition of her right and title to be our next cousin and heir. That was a quote forgot to tell you, which is why it was a strange sentence. (laughs) The problem was, he didn't fancy the pants off Mary. Unlike Ben Stiller, he didn't think there was something about Mary. I get the joke. Oh, fantastic, because I find it very hard to word that when I wrote it down.
0: I get it. Mm-hmm.
1: Despite <laughs> our Queen of Scots being up for it, the betrothed never went. The betrothal never went forward because the potential groom refused point blank.
0: I mean, that's very forward-thinking of Elizabeth. I will say oh, that yes. much, but I can't imagine it going down well in the mid-1500s. No, no, no.
1: Yeah, I, very strange. She probably wanted them to marry and then still have him just to herself, but just to keep Mary appeased.
0: Yeah.
1: And not to- Personal to... favourite, wink, wink. Yeah, I mean? <laughs> In contrast, a creepy French pervert poet called Pierre de Boscocelles de Chastelal was seemingly besotted with her. In 1563, he was found during a security search hiding under her bed apparently planning to surprise her when she was alone to profess his love. Mary was, of course, horrified and banished him from Scotland. An instruction he chose to disregard. Two days later, he forced his way into her chamber as she was about to disrobe. Furious and terrified, she screamed for help. Murray rushed into the room and she shouted, quote, thrust your dagger into the villain. Murray refused, but chasselard was tried for treason and beheaded. Maitland theorised that this love was feigned and was merely part of a plot to discredit Mary by tarnishing her reputation.
0: Okay, I'm really sorry, but thrust your dagger sounds like a euphemism, and I can't stop
1: laughing. Imagine imagine Murray took it the wrong way. (laughs) And she'd be like, Murray, Murray, I told you. That's not. Maybe that would have been an interesting menage à toi
0: that really would that would have been a plot twist i would not see coming
1: half brother and sister plus a creepy poet what a dream
0: there you go ticks all the boxes incest stalker (laughs) all we need
1: is cannibalism we're ticking all the scottish boxes there you go oh yes with all this love failure behind her things were looking up Back in February 1561, while still mourning Francis, she met her half cousin Henry Stuart, aka Lord Darnley. His parents had sent him to France to extend their condolences while secretly hoping for a potential love spark between their son and Mary. Upon their second meeting sometime later, Mary was immediately smitten with Darnley, and it's not hard to see why. He was nicknamed the Long Lad. Darnley was over six feet tall.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. Oh yes. dear me. Okay. Yes, that's <laughs> quite the nickname.
1: Absolutely. Uh, he was a well-suited match for the five foot eleven Mary, being six foot tall, and the fact Darley was famous, Darnley was famous—Darnley was famously good-looking—was the cherry on the cake. Ch-
0: just ticking all the boxes.
1: There's a couple of boxes he left unchecked, but I will get to those, don't you worry. Oh,
0: God, okay. Oh,
1: yes. (laughs) Keen as beans, Mary and Darnley married in a fit of passion at Holyrood Palace, July 1565, ignoring the advice of her counsellors and without getting a papal dispensation for marriage between Catholic cousins. It was a fast, surprising and confusing thing that they did, with one courtier claiming that she was bewitched. Now, although I'm not sure what big maza wore at this wedding, we do know that Mary went wild for the colour white and valued purity Jeez. and paleness in almost all things, especially herself. For one, she was famous for the whiteness of her neat, tidy hands.
0: Just her hands? Just
1: her hands. As we know, she insisted on wearing white to marry Francis, even though at the time it was a mourning colour in France. And fun fact, in the 16th century, it was fashionable for those with the means to bathe in white wine. Mary had incredibly fair skin, and the antiseptic properties of white wine essentially worked as a toner. Mary believed that it Uh helped her complexion and may have also provided pain relief.
0: Maybe I might start washing my face in white wine. Give it a bash. Why not? Why not? That, I mean, you might as well put it to some use. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. There were signs from the very beginning that Darnley and Mary were not an ideal pair, but she chose to ignore those signs. Queen Elizabeth was infuriated by this union. Both Darnley and Mary had claims to the English throne, and Mary was worried that any reproduction would present an even bigger threat to her position as English queen. Besides ticking off Elizabeth, Mary's rash decision also ticked off her brother Murray, who didn't like that now both the Queen of Scotland and her husband were Catholics. In response, he went into open rebellion. Mary set out from Edinburgh on the 26th of August 1565 to confront them. On the 30th, Murray entered Edinburgh but left soon afterwards having failed to take the castle. Mary returned to Edinburgh the following month to raise more troops, In what became known as the Chaseabout Raid, Mary with her forces and Murray with the rebellious lords roamed around Scotland without ever actually engaging in any direct combat. Unable to muster sufficient support, Murray left Scotland for asylum in England and Mary broadened her Privy Council, bringing in both Catholics and and Protestants. (laughs) The talk about white wine has got me drunk.
0: There you go, that's all it took.
1: The <laughs> and coffee prints. Uh, for a time, Mary's flame for Darnley burned bright, and she called him the quote "lustiest and best proportioned long man she had ever seen."
0: Oh God. <laughs> Mary knew what she was saying. She Let's knew. be honest here.
1: Now at this stage, just for a little uh, a little update, Mary is 23. At this time. And Darnley is 19. Oh, okay. Yeah. Get yourself a toy boy, Mansa. Why not? (laughs) Um, Also, she might have, compared to the only other man she'd ever been with, was Francis, who was, I think, five foot three? Fair. So he was a dinky little guy for the times, even at the time.
0: And also, I can speak from experience as a woman of not average women's height, that generally you you have to look down to talk to men. So anytime you get to look up at one is a bonus and a half. Let me tell you.
1: It's about time that women spoke down to men. That is true. Oh, yes. That is true. Taking a stand right here, right now. Woo! Down with the patriarchy. (laughs) Okay. Darnley seemed perfect to Mary, at least at first. She soon learned the truth. He might have Uh-oh. been a hot slab of man but he was also unimaginably vain, arrogant, and likely riddled with syphilis. To add insult to injury, he had an unhealthy fondness for the booze, which often revealed a violent side. Bear that in mind. Oh, dear. Yeah, beach. <laughs> Soon enough, being consort wasn't enough for Darnley. If Mary was allowed to be the queen of Scots, then it was embarrassing that he couldn't have some of that power. He demanded that Mary give him God, the,
0: God forbid. I know. He be he be merely a consort and not have any of the power. Be God grateful. forbid.
1: Oh. He's probably sneaking into her bathroom stealing her white wine stash. <laughs> She's like, "Where's my toner?" He's drunk it. <laughs> he's so mad he can't have the power so oh, he takes away her token.. <laughs> he demanded that mary give him the crown matrimonial which was an edict that would let him become the true king upon her passing she refused and the marriage very quickly went downhill oh dear despite darnley being an absolute eejit there was a glimmer of hope on the horizon because in late 1565 Mary became pregnant. It was a mixed blessing. On one hand, Mm -hmm. she might provide the heir that Scotland needed. On the other, Stinky Darnley seemed to be the father. Then, as the nation excitedly awaited the birth, another violent wind of change came a-blowing.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Enter Mary's close companion, David Rizzio. Rizzio was considered agree Rizio <laughs> was considered a good musician and excellent singer, which brought him to the attention of the cosmopolitan young queen. Towards the end of 1564, having grown healthy under her patronage, "Healthy," says wealthy. <laughs> having, <Same difference. laughs> having grown wealthy under her patronage, he became the Queen's Secretary for Relations with France after the previous occupant of the post had retired. Rizzio was ambitious, controlling access to the Queen and seeing himself almost as a Secretary of State. Other courtiers felt that, as a Catholic and a foreigner, he was too close to the Queen. Rumours became rife that Mary was having an a, adulterous affair with Rizzio. True or not, Darnley was still sore about his lack of power and felt the niggling feeling of jealousy. On March 9th, 1566, Mary, Rizzio and the Lady Argyle were seated at the supper table. The Queen was six months pregnant at the time. The rebels burst into the supper room, led by Lord Ruthven, and demanded that Rizzio be handed over. The Queen refused, Rizzio hid behind Mary, but was ultimately seized. According to Mary, one of the intruders, Patrick Bolenden, pointed his gun at her pregnant belly while Andrew Kerr threatened to stab her. Lord Ruthven denied this later on when asked. After this violent struggle, Rizzio was dragged through the, benchab- the bedchamber into the adjacent audience chamber and stabbed 57 times. His body was thrown down the main staircase nearby and stripped of his jewels and fine clothes. The location of Rizzio's murder is marked with a small plaque, and underneath there is a red mark on the floorboards, which reportedly was left when Rizzio was stabbed to death. Now, I have been here. Okay. Was this Hollywood Palace? This was Hollywood Palace, I never mentioned that. Rizzio was first buried in the cemetery of Holyrood Abbey. Buchanan states that shortly afterwards his body was removed by the Queen's orders and deposited in the tomb of the Kings of Scotland in Holyrood Abbey. This strengthened the previous rumours of her familiarity with him. At the best of times, Queen Mary was a volatile creature. One minute she would be sociable and kind, and the next she was disdainful and removed. Her unpredictable health didn't help matters. She was prone throughout her life to bouts of serious illness, including uh, a spate of unknown sickness in the late 1566 that left her constantly vomiting, near blind and susceptible to convulsions. Today, historians believe she suffered from porphyria, which is a group of liver disorders in which substances called porphyrins build up in the body, negatively affecting the skin or nervous system. So she okay. may well have been a very sickly person. Yep. Immediately after the murder, Mary spoke to Lord Darnley and, made the, and may have convinced him that they were both in danger. The guard around her was relaxed the next day and they escaped to Dunbar Castle. Mary, a week mm-hmm. later, returned to Edinburgh with her supporters and took up lodgings on the Royal Mile rather than return to the palace. On the 21st of March, she had, Darnley, she had Darnley declared innocent of the murder. Okay. Robert Melville arrived in Edinburgh from London and reported back to Elizabeth on the aftermath of the murder. He noted that Morton, Lord Ruthven, Lord Lindsay, William Maitland of Levington, the clerk Registrar, James Balfour and Lord Justice Clark John Bellenden, and some gentlemen of Lothian who were all suspected of having knowledge of the plan to kill Rizzio had fled. Not suspicious yeah, in the slightest. Not
0: suspicious at all.
1: Now we must remember that even after all this trauma, Mary was still pregnant and still head of a country. In other words, she had oh God, to persevere. Oh God, she was pregnant. Yeah, very pregnant. Six months pregnant. Oh my God. On June 19th, 1566, at Edinburgh Castle, she gave birth to her royal heir at long last, James VI of Scotland, who later became James I of England. Just to confuse matters even more. Oh yes, and here's a fun little tidbit. <laughs> at the baptismal ceremony of James, the bizarre custom at the time was that the Archbishop of St. Andrew's spit in the baby's mouth.
0: Uh, 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 No.
1: Mary (laughs) staunchly refused, calling the Archbishop a pocky priest.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I'll give her the context. (laughs) Get it, girl, get it. Oh, my God. Oh, ew. Way way to get disease under control as well, you know. as the
1: 1500s, after all. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so now this is, I've kind of wrapped up my Mary Queen of Scots section, but there are just a couple of additional bits of info that I wanted to throw out there. Love it. So despite the theory of the time that Rizzio was the father of Mary's child, in the Mary Queen of Scots film, there are scenes that actually depict Rizzio and Darnley having an affair together. There is. In real life at the time, Rizzio was described as Darnley's only governor. And a brief sexual relationship between Darnley and Rizzio is thought to be real history and not mere speculation. Darnley, who spent adolescent years in France, was known to be effeminate and bisexual, as was the vogue of young hedonistic courtiers in France. We know of course that same-sex relationship and attraction and romance goes back, 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 back to the beginning of time, but the term a homosexual is a pretty modern thing. Mm -hmm. Queer historians, by and large, see the trial of Oscar Wilde for gross indecency in Victorian times as the birth of the homosexual concept, which was 300 years after Mary. For that reason, in addition to the difficulty of proving feelings or sexual acts of the past and society's long entrenched culture of homophobia, historians have largely shied away from identifying any historical figures as anything other than heterosexual. Because it just doesn't tie into the ideals of these people of great power or great... That's
0: so interesting, though, because as you said, it has always been a thing.
1: Absolutely. It's just that people... It's not
0: like it's a modern concept.
1: It's a pretty modern concept for people to actually be in a gay relationship and for homosexuals to exist. And it does make sense that once that became a thing that people were aware of existing within a human person, that they wouldn't want to look back on these historical figures that for years had been recognized as just a heterosexual because that's obviously the the norm, like the restart setting of any person would be heterosexual in the minds of any old fashioned homophobe, which is what most people in the olden days probably were. (sighs) Let's be honest here. Yes. Um, So this is fun. Eh, contemporary sources report that Rizzio was granted access to the Lord's table, his chamber, and his most secret thoughts, and they allegedly were known for lying in one bed together. However...
0: See, this is very annoying, because Darnley could have been, like, one of the first gay icons, but it's a shame that he was a complete prat. Do you know
1: what I mean? You really have to choose, you have to think (laughs) about what your impact in the world is going to be. He and Rizzio could have had an incredible love affair, whilst...
0: They could have been trailblazers. Also, why has nobody told that story? Yeah. That's like a film or a play waiting to happen.
1: I mean, you know that almost every idea I have for a play stems from a secret gay relationship.
0: Yeah, but this is like one of the god-tier secret gay relationships.
1: I'm into it. I'm so into it.
0: And the fact that historians believe it's
1: true. Come on. Come on now. Yes, although... On that note, John Guy's Queen of Scots notes that the source of many of these stories was Elizabeth I's ambassador, Sir Randolph, who wrote to QE1 informing her that Rizzio and Darnley had been found in bed together as part of a plot to discredit Darnley by using veiled homophobia.
0: So it was propaganda again.
1: Could be propaganda. So although I desperately want it to be true, and it's believed by many that it could be true, there Mm -hmm. are others who still dispute it. But then this could be another person who wants to dispute it because he doesn't want a historical figure being gay.
0: Absolutely. Or maybe he was just a massive
1: homophobe. Could be. Could be.
0: Which was very possible (laughs) as well.
1: Very possible. James Melville of Hall Hill, a close advisor and frequent emissary of Mary, once described Darnley as wholly inappropriate for his queen, characterising him as a, quote, more like a woman than a man, for he was very lusty, beardless, and lady-faced. So he was slightly androgynous <laughs> and had no beard. And lusty. What does that mean? What does that, why does that make someone... What does,
0: what does that mean? So weird. Um, um, I, th- lady-faced, that's a bit rude. Very
1: rude also good for him good for Maybe him yeah, at least he wasn't better.
0: probably getting his beard caught in the toilet unlike some we've spoken yeah, about already exactly. on this episode
1: <laughs> using the beard as toilet roll oh what did they use for uh... toilet roll these days that's a fact that, that's probably why they had long beards
0: exactly two birds one stone
1: beard bog roll
0: mm. yep <laughs> anyway
1: mary Mary was also known to have been very close to rizzio and so their relationship also at the time caused a lot of rumors uh, but the rumors were never taken particularly seriously Mm -hmm. but i remember growing up being taught the history as fact that rizzio and mary Mm -hmm. had an affair i remember being told that
0: oh how strange
1: yeah but that must have just been my primary school teacher just using taking liberties (laughs) The, the movie's portrayal of rizzio as mary's harmless gay best friend is a popular reading in contemporary historical fiction as it makes a mockery of the claim that he was the queen's lover which most historians agree was a false pretext used to justify the murder but there's plenty of space in between the two interpretations of him being the gay best friend and him being her lover Political power in medieval times was closely tied up in the person of the monarch, and for Rizzio becoming a close confidant of Mary would have been its own reward. Whatever the truth of Rizzio and Darnley's relationship, it seems unlikely that the Catholic Mary would have taken him sleeping with her husband, quite lightly, as she seems to in the film, apparently I've not seen it, as men having sex with men was considered a heretical offence in the 16th century.
0: Yes, now I did recently watch. You're talking about the Saoirse Ronan film,
1: right? I am talking about the Saoirse Ronan. Okay, film. good. Yeah, because yeah. I did
0: watch that recently because it's on Netflix. Um, oh, I will go because obviously, and you do it. It goes away on the nineteenth of June, so watch it before then. Okay. Yeah, and it is kind of it is, if I remember correctly, it is implied that she notices that there's a, a little thing going on between the two of them and is not happy about it.
1: Okay, which makes sense because it was illegal. Which brings me to something quite irrelevant, okay, but slightly relevant, which is a very, very short, like within this period of time, like Tudor Times, history of homosexuality. Okay. It feels relevant to me and I was reading about it and I was getting myself all riled up, so I felt like I would share. Fascinating. Go for it. 1533, King Henry VIII passed the Buggery Act of 1533. Making all male to male sexual activity punishable by death. Buggery, buggery related only to intercourse per annum, I'll let you decide what that means, by a man with a man or woman, or intercourse per annum or per vaginum by either a man or a woman with an animal. So again, <laughs> like, the, like throughout history, homosexuality has been compared to being someone who's into bestiality. Yeah. Yep. Other forms of, quote, unnatural intercourse amounted to indecent assault or gross indecency. The Buggery Act 1533 only ran until the end of the parliament and the law was reenacted three times. And then in 1541, it was enacted to continue in force forever. In 1547, King Edward VI's first parliament repealed all felonies created in the reign of King Henry VIII. In 1548, the provisions of the Buggery Act 1533 were given new force with minor amendments. The penalty for buggery remained death, but the goods and lands were not forfeit, and the rights of wives and heirs were safeguarded. That's nice of you. 1553. 15- 15- I know. 1553, Mary Tudor ascends to the English throne and repeals all of Edward VI of England's Act. <sighs> Yes, repeal all of Edward VI of England's acts. So she's like, none of this. Five years later, 1558, Elizabeth I ascends to the English throne and reinstates the sodomy laws of 1533, which were then given permanent force. And it wasn't until 1861, which is bang on pretty much 300 years later, the death penalty was abolished, but it remained illegal until pretty much the 70s.
0: It did, because then it became gross indecency. Yeah. Which, punishment was either imprisonment or chemical castration. It. What is wrong with this
1: universe? It just doesn't make any sense. We are living Uh, in so many ways, we are living in a much better time.
0: uh, I would also just like to say that the word buggery is the most horrible, violent word. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely hate it me too and i absolutely hate it because to me that sounds there's just such an air of violence about it yeah that it brings to mind like assault yeah and that's just that's just horrible
1: yeah it's just horrible because for some reason for so many periods of history any kind of relationship that involved that kind of thing for even It's like they didn't know that the word consent existed.
0: Absolutely. That's such a good
1: point. Two men who love each other, or even if they don't love each other, they just want to do that. Doing that, even though both of them were into it, it was still considered this horrible, violent, indecent assault, essentially. Yeah. It just annoys me. And I'm even more annoyed because Elizabeth I put back into, pl- into place the laws of Henry VIII and not Edward. So she, yeah. t- she then made it like goods and land were forfeit again and the rights of the family and heirs weren't mm-hmm. safeguarded anymore because she thought that King Henry's ideas were better than Edward's.
0: Yeah. <sighs> it's just anyway. very annoying. I should also point out that in, when I said about the Mary Queen of Scots film when Mary thinks there's a, a relationship going on between Darnley and Wizzio... I, from what I take from it, it's not the fact it's with a man. It's the fact he's just it's cheating.
1: L- yeah, yeah, which is good. That, that's which nice is in- what
0: like rails are. A nice but,
1: interpretation.
0: But yeah, that's horrific. I yeah. hate that so much. I friggin' hate. Oh, it just makes me angry. It just makes me so me angry. And the fact it wasn't abolished, literally, until about fifty years ago.
1: I know. Ugh. And it's even though it was abolished, it was just before the AIDS pandemic hit, and of course yes. that was just fuel for any kind of homophobia.
0: Oh, it was the fuel.
1: Yeah, and I ju- and so the fuel that was added even, to the even fire. though it was no longer illegal, it was yes. I, it, it wouldn't have been until pretty much the turn of the millennia, but that people started to be more accepting. It, yeah, honestly. Blows my mind that I am so close to... I'm tiptoeing the line between being acceptable as a human being and being completely disregarded because of who I was born as. Yeah. And that blows my mind, that it's so close to where we are right now.
0: Because I think a lot of people don't actually realise that. Yeah. They genuinely don't realise 20, 30 years ago gay people were being vilified for dying of th- one of the most horrendous diseases on this planet completely yeah. against their will and quite a lot of the time without help because yeah. quite a lot of people were like it's on you it's your fault
1: yeah totally it was just an excuse for people homophobes felt justified
0: Exactly. And I think it's so interesting considering when we're talking about it sort of like contextualized in history is that we've suddenly got now kind of like post like sort of or like feminist movements, the whole putting women back into history. Yeah. Where's the movement of putting all the gay people back into history? Because they probably they existed.
1: They 100% they definitely existed. existed. <laughs> they and I guarantee, a lot like a lot of the story of the women that we tell, the story of these gay people that existed, are most yeah. likely tragic. Because and I think that
0: would be super fascinating.
1: Thank you everyone for joining us for the first half of the Mary Queen of Scots story. Join us again on Monday where we'll have the second half of the episode coming at you. keep your eyes out find out what happened we're going to be on tenterhook as always please pop along to our instagram and our facebook give us likes and follows there we post all of our corresponding photos up there every week and it just gives you a nice little visual to go along with the story along with our magic hat mondays where you can give your responses to our questions our we love a link wednesdays where we join links between different stories that we've told And of course, Fun Fact Friday, where you will learn some kind of fun Scottish fact.
0: If you happen to have a question for the magical hat, if you either email us or messages it over, it will be written down on a little sheet of paper, folded up and go straight into the hat where it may feature on future episodes. Also, if you happen to own an Apple device, if you could head on over to that little purple logo of Apple Podcasts, and leave us a little review it would be much appreciated and helps us in the massive podcast algorithm of
1: the world and thank you for listening to a wee bit gothic was that gothic a wee bit